You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, How have we wearied him? In that you say, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, Where is the God of justice? Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, and refine them like gold and silver, so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the, blessing, or then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old, and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment, and I will be, swift, be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers, and against those who swear falsely, and against those who oppose the, or oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not appear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Okay. Now, they have wearied the Lord with their words... And, of course, what's their answer? How do we you? Well, that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to me. I mean, you know, who me? <laughs> well, look at what they said. Two things. They said, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. That God, uh, you know, likes the people who do evil, and he blesses and favors the people who do evil. And the second thing is, where is the God of justice? You know, why hasn't he come? Why isn't he here? Why isn't he dealing with the wicked? Now, of course, in all of this, what are they assuming? Yes, and that the wicked means their enemies. Well, so the two questions are, you know, uh, or the two statements... Everybody who does evil, the Lord blesses. And where's the God of justice? He's going to take these in reverse order. Where's the God of justice? Look at chapter 3, verse 1. What's going to happen? Send his messenger. He's going to send his messenger. And what's his messenger going to do? He's going to clear the way, prepare the way for himself. Well, if he's preparing the way for himself, what are we assuming is going to happen? He's going to come. Yes. They're asking the question, where is the God of justice? Well, God's going to send his messenger to prepare the way to come. In fact, he specifies, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom, in whom you delight, behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. So, they're asking where is the God of justice? Well, what did he say? He's coming. He's coming, and how? Suddenly. He's going to suddenly come to his temple. I believe that it is best to understand these two lines as parallel. 
the Lord is parallel to the messenger of the covenant. In both cases, they seek him, they delight him, and he's saying he's coming. So the Lord is identified as the messenger of the covenant. Now the thing that's a little bit complicated in this whole book is, there sure are a lot of messengers he talks about in here. I mean, we've already had two before this. Did you notice? Who were messengers he's mentioned earlier in the book? Malachi. Malachi, which means my messenger, and the priest, 2-7. He's the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now we've got two more. We're multiplying messengers. In 3-1, there's the messenger who's going to clear the way before me. And then there's the messenger of the covenant who is the Lord himself who's going to come suddenly. So their question, where's the God of justice? The answer, he's coming. Now, if we try to understand this a little bit more in application, who's the my messenger who's going to prepare the way for him? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Yeah, this passage is cited in the New Testament. He's the messenger who's preparing the way. Reminds you of Isaiah 40, which I also think was applied to John the Baptist. So, how was John clearing the way for Jesus? He prepared people's hearts to receive the message. Excellent. By teaching repentance. Yes. And who is the messenger of the covenant, the Lord who will suddenly come? Jesus. Jesus, absolutely. I think he's saying Jesus will suddenly show up. You know, they won't be expecting. Where is the Lord? He's coming. He's sending somebody to prepare his way and then he'll be there. And this is particularly meaningful if you think about this fact. As far as we know, Malachi was the last prophet of God. We don't know of uh, you know any uh, you know later messenger until the New Testament period. And so, kind of the next thing on God's agenda was going to be the sending of the messenger to prepare the way for the messenger. In fact, think about this. I don't know if you thought about this. I probably mentioned this somewhere along the line. But if you were looking at this from the standpoint of God's communication with his people, Malachi being the last prophet, what is the next communication God has with somebody on the earth, as far as we know? No, not exactly face-to-face necessarily. Some some message from God. The priest, Zechariah and the temple and he couldn't talk because he was... Remember that? Who was that Zachariah? John the Baptist's father. Yeah, remember he was in there offering incense and uh, the angel Gabriel, I believe it was, appeared to him and tells him he's going to have a son. He and Elizabeth are old and she's barren and all that. And he says, well, how would I know that? And God said, well, I'll give you a sign. You won't be able to talk until he's born. <laughs> or he should have asked, I don't know. But, uh, but that seems to be the next time the Lord communicated with anybody was the announcement to Zechariah 
that the messenger to prepare the way was going to be born to him and Elizabeth. So, there was that period of silence, and the next event, event on the agenda is going to be the first part of chapter 3, verse 1. So, God is coming, he's sending his messenger, and then he'll personally arrive in the person of Jesus. Comments or questions through 3.1? The other statement is this idea, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Well, that wasn't true either. And he he deals with that in 2 to 6. He says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Because when God comes, what's he going to do? Purify the world. Yes, he compares him to a refiner's fire or a fuller's soap. And the idea is he's going to refine out the dross, the garbage. He's going to, he's going to wash off with lye soap the uh, stains and the dirt. He's going to be like a smelter and purifier of silver. You know, God is going to deal with the evil. He's going to purge it out. He's going to wash it off. I don't know, you know, this stronger soap is almost stronger than wash it off, but he's going to you know, burn it off almost with the, with the, the lye soap. Um, but who is he going to purify? Who, is going to, who are the wicked, the evil, that God is going to uh, purge? The sons of Levi. See, that's the thing. You know, they were wanting, they thought, well, well, God, you're just favoring the wicked. You know, no, he's not. He's going to punish the wicked, starting with them. Sometimes you might not want God to come and punish the wicked. Uh, But that's what he's going to do. He's going to purge them and purify them, passing them through the fire so that their offering is acceptable. He says in verse 5, I will draw near to you for judgment against the sorcerers, adulterers, false swearers, those who oppress the wage earner and the, uh, the, and the widow and the orphan and who don't treat the foreigner right and don't fear me. God is going to punish the wicked of them. When we think about the wicked, we always have our finger pointed at somebody else. But God sees they're the ones that need to be punished and he's going to do that. They were so self-righteous, they were blinded to their own need to repent. Comments and questions on this? Do you see the point he's making? You know, he's really trying to get them to see their own sins and to repent. I might notice something with you in this passage that is kind of uh, something that I, I would point out from time to time um, is is this list of sinners in verse 5. Do they all sound so bad? Some of them do. But do some of them not sound like such a serious matter? two or three of them, I think, wouldn't be considered all that bad. What do you think? Swearing falsely. Sometimes, yeah, we don't have much commitment to our word, doesn't seem to bother us. 
to make a solemn promise and then renege. What else? Thrust aside a sojourner. Yes, our treatment of those who are foreigners. You know, God was always so strong on that with the Israelites. What about, here's the one I'm wondering about, those who oppress the wage earner at his wages. Do you understand what that would be? Not giving him the proper pay? Yeah, not paying him fairly. I assume we're dealing with, like, uh, you know, people who uh, own things or, or whatever, and they hire people and they don't really pay them proper fair wages. And probably because they can get by with it. You know, God is really concerned about justice, about fairness, about treating people right, even when you could get by with it. If you're the guy with the jobs, then you can probably pay whatever you want to as long as there are people needing the jobs. But he's concerned when, when, it's, when they're exploiting their workers. He's really concerned about how we treat other people. Even how we treat those that we could get by with treating badly. All right, comments or questions through three six. Yes. I like how uh, the people always try to think in varying degrees of uh, of bad. Like a, a lie is not so bad as murder. You know, it's in our eyes it may not be, but in God's eyes they're the same thing. You know, because every time you lie, you could you know you could be hurting him. I mean, it's. I think we need to understand that there's no greater sin than one another. It's they're all the same to him. Yeah, we tend to just want to excuse the sins we're guilty of. I think that's our issue. <laughs> Shane. Um, this reminds me of you know it seems like these priests are the ones that you know that God has given. Specifically, the order or the command to, to to help people understand what they were doing, why they were doing it, and these the men entrusted the word to. And it reminds me a lot of Isaiah 4. Um, just talking about how the people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, and because of that, they're not going to be even priests for them anymore. He said that the priests have fulfilled their duty in, in giving people the knowledge. Um, and I think about, in a lot of ways, you know. I mean, you can make whatever kind of examples you want as being priests in of ourselves or whatever the Lord. But I think a lot of ways, I think we just don't understand the Lord as much as we need to. We don't try to as much. You know, as priests, they were given the way to help people understand who the Lord was and what they were doing and why they were doing it. Um, and in ourselves, we, if we really understood who the Lord was and we pushed ourselves to, to understand, we wouldn't have these problems. Uh, I mean, we mentioned before the fact that I think the last scene that the fact the Lord is king. And I think we really truly saw him as king. We wouldn't do what we do. Um, and we lose respect upon, upon and what we understand about the Lord. And just in that passage talks about them not knowing the law and not knowing the word of the Lord, the priests have not done that. And giving that knowledge is because it's why they're being judged. So we need to respect his word. Other comments? Look at the next section. Uh, some more problems they have in their response, 7 to 12.
the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it may not destroy the fruits of the ground. For you, uh, nor will, will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. And all the nations will call you blessed. For you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Okay. So, he says that you've been turning aside from my commandments and haven't kept them and you need to return to me. And what do they say? How do we return? And what's their implication when they say that? They don't, they don't think they uh, have anything to return to. They don't think they're away from God. Exactly! How do we return? We're still with you. That's what they're saying, but what do we return? It's this defensive thing where we will not take responsibility for our sins. Don't you see that constantly in here in Malachi? Well, how do I return? I'm, I'm good. You know, he, then he says, will a man rob God? That would be pretty outrageous, don't you think? You know, if you're picking someone to rob, I would not recommend the Lord as the victim. <laughs> Yet you are robbing me. But you say, you could predict this by now, couldn't you? How are we robbing you? Everything he says, uh, oh, not me. No, it's not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. You know, it, it's so much the, 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 the immaturity of the three-year-old with chocolate all over his face and hands and said, I didn't get into the cookie jar. You know, uh, <laughs> how likely is that one going to be believed? You know, he's got the evidence all over him. No, I didn't, I didn't eat those cookies. No, I, that wasn't me. Why are we like that? You know, why are we so quick to not take blame? We want to defend ourselves when everything shows we're guilty. That's, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to recognize our true condition and have a conscience about sin. Well, how were they robbing God? So in tithes and offerings? In other words? Yeah. Yeah. They weren't giving him what they owed him. Is it that sort of a way of robbing somebody? I mean, you know, we think about robbing, you think about, you know, somebody's, you know, having a gun to your head and saying, give me your billfold or something like that. But there are some other ways to rob people that are still robbing people. What if you owe somebody money and you don't pay it? It's kind of a passive form of robbery. But isn't that robbery? You know, uh, that, that would be robbery if you look if, if, in my book. You know, wouldn't it be if it happened to you? What would, it, what would you think if, I don't know, you cut somebody's grass? You said, you know, you told them up front, you're going to charge them 20 bucks to cut the grass. You cut their grass, you know, half a dozen times, they won't pay you. Aren't they robbing? Don't they owe you that? 
Don't we owe God, don't they owe God, the tithes and the offerings? They weren't paying them, therefore they were robbing God. That's, that's how they were, you know, that's what he meant by that. And he's cursing them because they're robbing God. He said, if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, you just watch and see if I won't bless you. If you'd start offering the way you ought to, I'd bless you. Now, can you think of a reason why they wouldn't have brought the whole tithe and they wouldn't have given God the money they were supposed to give? Yeah, we thought of that quick, didn't we? (laughs) Uh, We understand that. It's greed. It's materialism. You know, we want to hoard up all the stuff we get for us. We don't want to make sacrifices. We are so greedy. We are so materialistic. And that's where, do you see what our main rival is to God in our lives? What's our main rival? Ourselves. Exactly right. I want stuff for me and I don't want to give to God because it would deprive me of what I want. You know, we are in one of these situations that's pathetic because very, very rarely do we ever have to make a sacrifice to serve God. You know, have you ever just gone a week without eating so you had money to give? Anybody ever thought about that? Well, you gotta eat. You gotta eat. I mean, you know, God just had to be put on hold. I mean, you know, I gotta eat. Rallies. Do what? Rallies. Rallies. Yeah. 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 What over my head. But uh, you know, so so what are we supposed to give God today? I mean, are we are we still supposed to tithe today? What was the tithe? Yeah, ten. So we're supposed to do that? We're supposed to give freely. Freely? What do you mean by freely? means we give what we... We don't need to give grudgingly. We give what... Well, you're right we shouldn't give grudgingly. You know sometimes what we think, though, and you're avoiding saying this, I appreciate that, Jacob. Sometimes we think by that, that means I can give anything I want to and it's okay. Is that true? Oh, well, so what does that mean? Well, you have the purpose in your heart. So as long as I plan it, it's okay? In some sense, yes, because he wants you to plan. I mean, that's kind of part of giving. It's a planned thing. But it's planned, so are all my plans okay with God? Does God have any standards as far as how much he wants us to give? Yeah, abundantly, liberally, as opposed to sparingly. You know, he does. You want the leftovers? Yeah, he wants the first fruits. I mean, really, God wants us to be generous. God wants us to correspond to the generosity he has with us. How generous has he been with us? He gave us some. Yeah. It'd be pretty hard to put a price tag on that. How generous has God been with us in terms of material blessings? Well, 
the richest country in the world. Wow, the is kind of why. It just is embarrassing, our attitude toward material things. I have, you know, it may happen in the next couple of years. There's a couple of young men in Brazil that are really seriously thinking about coming here for a visit. And one of them, at least, I think, might have the resources to do that. And he's thinking, oh, he really wants to see American brethren. <laughs> and uh, he doesn't come from a poor family, really. He's 18. And uh, he's got a friend in the same congregation who's 18 or 19 who comes from a little bit poorer family. But neither one of them are overly poor by Brazilian standards. And they, will, they really want, they want to be with American young people, Christians. They want to see the Christians here. And I haven't told them not to come. I mean, it's not really my choice, but I'm worried that it'll be a real disappointment to them. For one thing, these guys are probably more dedicated than a lot of American Christians are just in general. But the materialism we've got? Wow. I just, it's always worried me that it'd be such a letdown for Brazilian bread, but just to see how much we focus on those things. How important those things are to us. I mean, we have cars, even most young people have cars, and they're usually concerned about what they look like and how good they are. We have houses that are just incredible, you know, by Brazilian standards. We have clothes coming out of our ears. You know, we eat, we eat. I mean, wow. I can't imagine what Brazilians would think about just how often we pick up little stuff to eat and how how insistent we are on having variety and and you know snack stuff and all that. I mean, I don't know how it is right now. It's been a while since I went to a Brazilian grocery store. But one of the things I noticed most when I lived in Brazil is there weren't snack items to buy at the grocery store. You didn't have potato chips hardly at all. You didn't have snack cakes and snack this and snack that and snack the other thing. You couldn't buy them. Could buy those. Those things are expensive. And you don't get much out of them. What did they cook? Rice and beans. I mean, a Brazilian typically eats rice and beans, lunch, and supper. The morning for breakfast, they may have a bread roll. So it's essentially rice and beans. Now, the debate among brethren when they're materialistic is how much mistura they're going to have. How much are they, they're going to mix with the rice and beans? You know, if you've got a little bit more money or you've got more credit or whatever, then they'll have a little bit of meat. They feed me really well over there. They want it. They want to do the best for me. And it's very, very typical in a Brazilian home that there'll be rice and beans and then they'll have this little plate of probably 15 little bitty pieces of beef that they cook, you know, for maybe six or eight of us or whoever are eating there. They, they want a mistura when I'm there. They want a mixture. They want to add, I, they may even have some lettuce and a few tomatoes cut up in it. So we're going to have a salad too. You know, many times they wouldn't have that for themselves. You know, when you've got company, then you do the best. And things like that. Occasionally, I'd say probably about a third of the meal, they'll even fix this this pudding thing they do. Uh, It's kind of like a custard pudding. And and so we'll have dessert. 
you know. Um, now, you know, it's not wrong for us to have, but it is so wrong the attitudes we have toward what we have. We are so focused on our stuff. And, and so often, Christians are not generous. You know, we don't make sacrifices to give and to serve and to help. You know, that will, and, and I'll tell you, you know, in my observation, the worst about that are young people. Young people seem to think whatever, whatever prosperity they have doesn't count. You know, you have jobs, you're making money. Well, yeah, but I've got to, i got to do this, and i got to do that, and I need this, and I've got my iPod, and I've got my, you know, CD player, and I've got my this, and I'm buying movies, and I'm buying, you know, all this, and I'm getting that, and the other thing, I have my cell phone, i got the gas, and the insurance, and the, you know, getting the car in the top shape, and this and that, and, well, you know, how would you expect me to be using my money for the Lord? And we expect the adults to. You know, our parents, they're supposed to give. I'm not, my concept, when I'm talking about this, I am not trying to limit myself to what we put in the collection plate. Talking about using our money for the Lord in that and in other ways. And and I just think so often young people don't even realize, they don't even, they're not conscious of having a responsibility about that. You know, my money's my money. You know, and, and what's really a shame is, in many cases, you've got young people who their parents are giving them a place to live. Their parents are giving them food. Their parents are doing the laundry. You know, their parents are, you know, maybe paying the insurance. They may have bought them the car. You know, they may be doing... And the kid has virtually no responsibility, so what do they do with their money? Waste it. Oh, whatever. Food, you know, CDs, well, I don't know. Whatever people buy these days. Xboxes and, you know, things of that nature. I don't, I'm not very uh, current with all that kind of stuff. Uh, what will the Lord say to us? I, mean, I think these things are practical for us. Does he see that we love him and that we're honoring him with the abundance he's given us or do we, do we just, you know, selfishly exploit those things for what we want and can have fun with? Comments and questions? Um, I hear talking about the, you know, the younger ones that usually are the ones that don't appreciate what they have as much and, uh, and you know, getting back to the Lord, I have a friend that does his uh, family that I worship with, um, and they have two little girls, well, I think they're like maybe eight and ten years old right now, but earlier, earlier this year, we, we used to, um, from the church here, we would, we would uh, send money to a guy in the Philippines, I think his name is Santos Basilio, and uh, we used to support him from the church money, but now, since we got a new preacher, we've been we took it away, but we still actually give just about as much as we always did from our own pockets. Uh, we send it over there to him still on a regular basis. And and um, these little girls, I really respect this family. They're very good. Uh, they're, they're raising their daughters really well. And and uh, anyway, during like the Easter time or something, they just did their little like plastic egg hunt things or whatever, you know, or something. And a couple of them, there was like, you know, a dollar or something to them. And, and the first thing the younger daughter was like, she's like, oh, I can give this money to Santa. You know what I mean? Like they, they don't fully understand, but like they, they under because the little ones like they understand that we're giving money to brethren overseas, and they don't. I mean, I don't. Maybe they fully understand. I don't know to what degree they understand, but you know they understand that these people need money. And so I mean, that was her first thought when she found this money. She's like, I can get this money to Santos, and I'm just like, and it's just encouraging. And the, the parents and people are just making sure that you know the young ones are understanding 
that nothing like of this life is what matters, but you know, that helping the brethren in the kingdom of God, you know, and they're raising their children up right. And it's, it's just encouraging to see even kids that young, you know, just understanding what's important. Some time ago, I was around a 10 year old who knew about some people who needed help. He had a little bit of money. And he told me, he said, if my parents will let me, I'd like to give what amounted to a third of the money he had to these people who needed help. Well, I, I, I talked to his dad. His dad said, you know, he said, you take a 10-year-old. Money that they have may not mean as much to them as it would to an adult. You wouldn't have maybe as mature thoughts and so forth. We got the money in the bank especially. You know, it may, not, it may not represent a sacrifice, but he said, you know, with, 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 with my kid, it's not just that. You can give him his favorite food or his favorite anything, and he'll want to give it to somebody and share it. That's awesome. That's the spirit we need to have. That's a great thing when parents raise their girls up. What are some ideas you have on specific ways we can use our money in the Lord's work besides just putting in the collection plate? Um, I would say giving to people who need help. Um, helping support spiritual work being done. Preachers needing help. Travel expenses for people who are trying to spread the gospel and things like that. Um, perhaps a little bit investment in spiritual activities, you know, uh, perhaps um, resources to use in teaching others or in our own spiritual world, things like that. You know, just looking around and being proactive in, you know, ways that we can use our money that would serve the Lord and serve other people. Other questions and comments? Um, I think also one of the things that shows just how worldly we are in this country is like, I know within the context of the scripture they are talking about like specifically finances, but the amount of times, like I think of all of the times I've heard someone speak at collection, once someone has said, we don't only give money. And we seem to think that the only thing we can give back at all is money. And we don't even consider like the other things that you can do. Well, you know what Paul said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 8? You first gave yourselves mm-hmm. to the Lord. And uh, then they gave their money. That's where we need to start. Giving ourselves to God and everything we have, obviously, as God's if we've given ourselves. Yeah, good point, Shane. I think, yeah, I think a lot of times we do struggle being bitters, but I think more of the struggle that I see, especially among brethren, is accepting it. We don't want to accept the money if we need the help. We have too much pride to accept the money we have to give. Um, Sometimes that's true. Uh, that's just what I see, at least we, we in my, my terms. It's just like, I see my brethren that, that need help, that whatever somebody offers you, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. I, 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 I'm okay. I'm say, they really do need the money. They're not, you know, you have, you have to be, there has to be someone to be generous to. 
you know, it goes both ways. You can't just give and not also take without it bothering your pride. Uh, that is an issue sometimes. I, I've seen that too. I don't think I've seen maybe this percentage of it you have, but, but yeah, we, we have to uh, be willing to receive. Yeah, right. Um, I don't know a lot about the South right now, but uh, I, yeah, uh, I'm showing sure um, right, uh, right, uh, you guys know where Franklin, Indiana is? Like, in, in some, like, yeah, yeah. South? Uh, yeah, well, there's a, I'm not, have you ever heard of a new work going on in that kind of, or in that area? There's, I know some brethren, um, George and Debbie Stewart and a couple others from, I don't know if they're all from the Lafayette Heights Church of Christ, but, uh, but they, uh, moved down there to start a new work because there's a, there's a liberal church down there, but there hasn't been a conservative work for, I think, 40 to 50 years or something in that area. So there's about 10 members there right now. They meet in a, a room in an old high school down there. They're calling it Creek Sector to Crisis in Franklin, Indiana. So if anyone ever wants to visit there or anything or help out with them, but they're they're really trying to hit up. They're like, I guess they're right by the Franklin College, and they're really trying to get the young crowd and stuff, and they're trying to bring people to the Lord. So they're starting a new work um, there in Franklin, Indiana. And uh, but, So they meet on Sundays at... Uh, for Bible study and three for worship, and they meet also on Tuesdays, I think, at so, and that way people can, you know, visit from their congregations, and I, I was down there, it's really encouraging, I was down there Sunday or two ago, and so, it's just really cool that there's just, like, ten of them, and then, like, but there was a lot of other visitors, too, when I went, so, but they just meet in a, you know, old high school room and stuff in, in high school, so, but that's cool, so if anyone's looking out to help around that area, I just thought I'd put them up there. Yeah. Well, it doesn't make any difference how nice the facilities are. Well, right. You know, what we're so often thinking about is how, you know, good we look or whatever. That's really not important. The number of people or what we meet in or whatever, the importance is faithfulness. Right. Other thoughts? Yes. Um, one of the hardest things it's been for me, uh, being a, a just recently baptized, um, I'm not, I've, I've never been the type of person to uh, lay my burdens on somebody else. I've always been the type of person to try to take care of my own problems on my own time. Because I've, I've always been the person to uh, the shoulder to cry on and give me advice, but I never gave them the time to me. And one of the hardest things that's been for me has been to just break down the walls that I have and actually come to somebody and try to try to get some help from somebody for some things that I have going on in my life. And I think that has something to do with the just maybe some pride, you know, that I that I help so many people and I, I think I need to appear strong to everybody that I'm helping so they can kind of use me as a as an example. But it's 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 been one of the hardest things for me to uh, to, to change about myself. We have to humble ourselves to admit our need and admit our faults. That is a challenge for sure. Good comments. All right, how about uh, 13 to 18? Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, why have we spoken against you? You have said, it is useless to so done. What profit is it that we, keep, that we have kept his ordinance? And that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts. So now we call the proud blessed. For those who do wickedness are raised up. They, they even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened and, uh, and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him. For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make uh, them my jewels. 
and I will spare them, as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. They've spoken arrogantly against God, and of course, what do they say? I don't know. I wonder if you. <laughs> that is just their knee-jerk reaction to everything that God says against them. Well, he tells them, what have they said against God? Huh. That's an interesting thing. It's vain to serve God. What profit is it that we kept his charge, that we walked in mourning before the Lord? You don't get anything out of serving God. I wonder why they thought that. <coughs> Truly serving God. Yeah, I think they probably weren't, but why did they think it was useless to serve God? Well, as before, we saw before, uh, they uh, were upset because uh, they weren't getting blessings, with, but that was because they weren't serving God properly. Yes. I think that's exactly it. They see themselves as serving God, and God's not coming through for them. You know, he's not doing all the stuff for what they want him to do. And they feel like, well, then you don't still get anything out of it. God doesn't really do, you know. So... Part of their problem was they didn't realize that they weren't serving God. I think part of their problem is how they look at God. How did they look at God? Can we get at it? Exactly. God is a divine vending machine. You know, put some points of uh, obedience or whatever in, and look at all the blessings you can get out. And. Uh, you know, so they're, they're re- they were really trying to manipulate to get God to serve them, so then serving God. You know, so often it's like, what's in this for me? What has God done for me lately? And that's not the right spirit. It's not the right attitude. They see the wicked people maybe having some good things in this life. You ever see wicked people who prosper? Yeah, happens. See that all through the Bible, too. Look at Job, look at uh, Psalm 73, and uh, so forth and so on. It's not a big surprise. You read the Bible, but sometimes wicked people do very nicely for a while in this life. You know, God doesn't always, you know, punish a wicked man the moment he commits wickedness. And he doesn't always give the righteous the most pleasant of lives here on the earth. So they're looking at God in almost an exploiting kind of a sense. What can can they get out of him? And they don't see their own sinfulness. No wonder the Lord's not blessing them. Anyhow, comments and questions through 15. Um, What? I've never actually known. What is the Lord of Hosts? What is that expression? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a debatable question. Host means like a bunch of, of things. I think probably the Lord of Hosts means like the Lord of the angelic armies. But there's some other options. The hosts could refer even the heavenly bodies could refer to the armies of Israel. But I tend to think of it as the angelic armies. It's like host literally means several, not like that several meanings. Right. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, then I was also wanted to ask because I think it's I think it's interesting there in, at the end of verse 15. Uh, the one we, I don't know how another New King James says, they even tempt God and go free. I don't exactly know. Doesn't it say? Yeah, wait, yeah. And uh, James 1 13, James 1 13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. So, different, just, different meaning for tempt here. Okay. The New Records says they test God and escape. 
what they're saying is the wicked people, you know, they kind of put their fist in the face of God and nothing happens. Okay. Not that they're trying to tempt God to do wrong. Okay. But they're kind of taunting God, they're defying God, and they get by with it. Okay. Yeah. Well, there's still, you know, they may say all they want to about God, but the truth is God does see a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. In verse 16, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. They encouraged each other. That's an important thing. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. And he remembered it. You know, he's got it written down in his book. Will God bless truly righteous people? Absolutely. He won't forget. He's got it written down. And uh, they will be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I prepare my own possession, I will spare them. God will bless them. Will God bless righteous people? Absolutely. He will do that. And furthermore, in verse 18, he will distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. You know, they thought it didn't do any good to serve God because they didn't see the whole picture in part. God does and he will distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. You can count on that. Alright, comments or questions on chapter 3? Sometimes blessings seems to us may not appear as being a blessing, but it might be a blessing that ever happened to you. You know, you may be thinking, well, God is, you know, he's, he's not helping me ten years down the road and saying, well, I'm not agree with that. Yes! Good point. You know, if you've lived very long, you've probably seen that. You know, I mean, usually it's much more long-term things than that, than this, but, you know, I don't know, what if, um, uh, what if you had been really disappointed that God didn't let you get a ticket on uh, the flight from Boston to L.A. or whatever on uh, September the 11th, uh, 2001? You know, well, uh, after that, that was all over, you were thankful you didn't get that. You know, you see things like that? You know, that's a very short-term thing. Usually it's much more long-term. But you do realize sometimes that the things that, that you thought were negative, later you're like, wow, I'm so thankful God did it that way. I, I see that you know, frequently in my own life. So that's a good point. Other thoughts? Okay. Yes. You know, sometimes we think that we know what's best for us, but like whenever we are praying to God and we ask for things that, like we're going through a hard time and we think that we need something, like that we need God to give us something and God can see what's going to happen when we get that. Like say we think that we need money going through rough times and we think that if we get money then we'll be able to do what God wants us to do with that. But God might be able to see that if we get that money, we'll just become more greedy and we'll want more and more. So him not giving us money is actually giving us the blessing that we need. God has so much more perspective than we do. He can see the whole thing, including the future. And so he's going to see things differently. If we could only see it how he sees it, we'd want to do the same thing he wants. We'd support what he's doing. But how can we see that? We just have to trust him. Shane? I think one thing is that we need is that a lot of times I focus on things I don't have instead of focusing on things that I do have. And even if you look at it from that kind of negative perspective, it's not bad. <laughs> you know, I think even sometimes in, in a spiritual sense, in, in a completely sincere way, wanting to serve God in, in different ways, but not being able to serve the Lord the way I want. Um, and sometimes I look at that and it just sort of discourages me. Instead of using what the doctrine the Lord has given me, I myself stumble over things that I don't have, which is stupid. 
And sometimes when it comes to some of those things, we are just so greedy. You know, it's like the Israelites in the wilderness complaining because, you know, they only got to eat manna. You know, when you look, when we look at that, how do we see that when they complain about that? So God gave them the manna. There was nothing out there. God was blessing them. He was giving them something to eat. They ought to have appreciated it instead of complaining that it was, you know, monotonous. Mm. You know, eating is. But uh, we're still glad to have the food. Well, of all things, what do we think? Make it yeah! <laughs> and just so greedy, man. We just want this, we want that, we want the other. Well, I don't have this, and you know, little Johnny has this, and I don't get this, and I ought to, you know, whatever. I mean, if I'll tell you what, if we had to eat man all the time, <laughs> we'd have a connection. <laughs> I mean, how were they living in the wilderness? Nice houses out there, right? You know. It, it just it was tough. You know, you ever really wanted, you know, some, some new clothes, clothes that were a little cooler, more cool, maybe cooler physically. Um, and, uh, well, in the wilderness, how many how many uh, times did they get to buy new clothes? Because God made the clothes not that they had on them not wear out on them for forty years. That'd be boring, wouldn't it? Same clothes for forty years. You know? God was blessing them. That's what we got to see. Sometimes we are just so greedy and so selfish that we, we don't appreciate what God does. All we can think about is, well, but I want this. Yeah, uh, this is running a story. When my uh, friends moved down to Evansville, it's fall to go to the USI. And I remember we were going on the, him too, my friends were going on the to see them, and they're actually the sons of uh, that's preaching for us right now. And and the, the preacher gave me 10 bucks, and one of my friends was like, well, there's three of us, you could have at least given us 20. And I'm like, dude, you just gave us $10 for nothing. I mean, and then we didn't like, deserve it. You just gave us $10 for some food, you know, along the way, because it was a bit of a drive. And like, I'm like, you didn't have to give us the $10. They're complaining about it. He's like, you could have given us 20. And I'm like, you didn't even need to give us the 10. So I don't know, it just seems so stupid to think like that. But, yeah, we need to think of God that way. He didn't have to do what he has done. Right. And what do we think? Oh, we should do this. <laughs> Like a bunch of spoiled brats. Yeah. I look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. 